Well, uh, in the spring of 2008, this is a, just about 12 years ago, uh, our family facing a major decision as to the direction of our life. I was 29 years old, and uh, the decision really did rest with me and my wife, Laura. We sensed a call from God to move from sweet home Chicago uh, to Washington, D.C., to pursue the next step of our calling. Um, there was a door that kind of clearly opened there, and we, we sensed a call to move through it. It was a, a call that involved more education uh, and a strong local church that could help us along the way. But it also involved quitting my job and leaving behind all that felt secure and comfortable. And I remembered the swirl of anxiety that I felt uh, as I considered what saying yes to Jesus would cost me. It would cost me health insurance for our growing family. It would cost me lost income. Uh, it would cost all of the old friends that we would uh, leave behind as we sought to start over with a brand new community with people who didn't know us from Adam. Uh, and it also involved giving up the ministry role that I had come to love. And there was just an acute sense of, if I say yes to this call, which we believed and believe was from the Lord, that there was just this acute sense of, we won't have enough if we say yes. And so I was very tempted to say, not yet, Lord, not yet. Give me another year. Give me more assurance. Give me more security before I say yes. I wonder if you've ever been in a similar place as this. You hear an invitation from Jesus to follow him and to trust him. Yet it feels like he's asking you a little bit too much. There are tangible things that he's asking from you, and you don't have enough to say yes. Jesus says, follow me, and you feel a scarcity mindset kick in. Not enough, Lord. I don't have enough. Not yet. Give me another year. Give me more assurance. I don't have enough capacity or security or confidence or money that you can provide all I need. Or maybe you're thinking, hey, I just don't have enough faith to say yes. I have lots of doubts and lots of questions about what it would mean to follow Jesus and whether or not he's really Lord. Maybe he's asked you to take a risk on his behalf. Uh, such as sharing your table with a neighbor who doesn't go to church anywhere or taking on a new leadership role at work. Maybe he's asked you to wait upon his timing for something that you really want, like a romantic relationship, a house, the fulfillment of a dream. Maybe he's asking you to trust the local church again after getting hurt. I don't know what Jesus is asking of you but I do know that he will ask something of you because he is the Lord. And it's never easy to say yes. He doesn't ask easy things of us, though we can wear the easy yoke as we say yes. The very moment Jesus asks us to trust him at a new level is the moment we can become the most self-protective. It's the moment when we feel the scarcity mindset and that's the moment where we want to say, not yet, Lord, I don't have enough. 
what we need in that moment, what I needed 12 years ago, was an epiphany. Not as some bright idea, some new idea, but an epiphany in that it is a revealing of the person of Jesus to us personally. Where we see he's going to be enough, in fact, he'll be more than enough, for us to say yes, whatever we're going to need on the other end of this, even if life gets harder, he's going to be more than enough. More than enough for us to trust him with everything we have. Everything we have. Everything we need. More than enough he will be to leave everything behind and follow him. So let's turn to Luke 5 and look at this epiphany moment for Peter and Peter's business partners. Because Peter got an epiphany. James and John got an epiphany. All the fishermen got an epiphany, and it gave them, it gave them something that they needed to say yes to Jesus. Um, Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. As I've been reading this and meditating on this, really I'm seeing this series of tests that the Lord gives Peter, and he's going to give him a small test to begin with, which involves using his boat. Now, I'm aware, I have been told, that the kiva here is not the most comfortable place to gather for worship. (laughs) Uh, There's not much lumbar support, is there? Okay, and I I like my lumbar support, believe you me. Um, It can get hot in here, um, and... There's like an awkward set of steps to come down for communion. You got to kind of walk like this to get your communion. So, you know, maybe you can relate with the people who were gathering for a makeshift teaching service with Jesus in the early days of his ministry. It's like a church by the sea makeshift church plant situation. In verse one, um, on one occasion... Luke, Luke 5, verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret. Whatever. Um, and verse 2, and Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So imagine just a little seaside moment here. Jesus is right by the sea. And there are, there are crowds, there are multitudes, and there's a, the word here uh, in the original language kind of refers to sort of a smothering situation. They're like pressing in around Jesus, getting as close as they can. There's no crowd control. And so um, you can't teach when people are smothering you. You actually have to have a little bit of distance, a little bit of a chance to project your voice. And so Jesus kind of looks over and he sees there's a couple of boats. Some of the fishermen who own the boats have gotten out of them and they're cleaning their nets. Now, we'll read later that Peter and one or two of his companions was, was in his boat, cleaning their nets in the boat. And so Jesus is like, oh, okay, I could use that as a pulpit. See, Jesus is thinking like a church planter. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to use this as a, as a pulpit. So he, he kind of gets in the water and, and the water maybe comes up to, to his legs and kind of sloshing around, and so he just kind of sloshes into Peter's boat, which is probably about 20 to 30 feet long, and facing all the people that want to hear Jesus' teaching, and 
uh, he actually asks Peter if he can use his boat. Uh, Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here is a, a very, very simple request of Peter. Can I, Jesus, use your boat for some teaching ministry? Peter did not have to say yes, but he says yes. He gives Jesus some some dominion over this little piece of equipment that he has for his own work. It's Peter's first yes to Jesus. Now, Peter would say yes to Jesus many times in his life, but it starts here. It starts with the little things. It starts with the tangible things. And this is Peter's first awareness of Jesus, quite likely, his first encounter with Jesus. And as Jesus sits down in Peter's boat to teach the crowds, Peter is actually part of the crowd here. He's maybe washing his nets, listening to Jesus. He's been up all night fishing, so maybe he's kind of dozing off and like falling asleep and tuning in and tuning out, as people do, I'm told. (laughs) But his commitment to Jesus at this point is ambiguous, right? He's part of the crowds. He's a, you know, he's a, he's an onlooker. He's a listener. He's not necessarily a disciple at this point. And he passes the first test. But then there's another test, which involves his nets and more fishing. Verse four, and when he, when he, Jesus, in verse four, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. So Jesus here finishes his sermon okay, everyone, sermon's over. Bye. And then he turns around to Peter and says, hey, Peter, what do you say we put out into the deep, you know, row, row, row your boat a little bit further out and put down your nets to find some fish to get a catch. Now, here is a carpenter instructing a fisherman how to, how to fish. And I don't know if you, any of you have ever been instructed in how to do your job. Has anyone ever told you how to do your job when you already knew how to do your job? Um, okay, Peter's also been up all night. Have you ever been told how to do your job when you're really tired? <laughs> okay, it can be insulting. Now, Jesus the Lord is not shy about pushing Peter's buttons and testing Peter. And so it's this question of, is Peter willing now to say yes? Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, this is what we might call an imperfect yes. The imperfect yes of Peter. Um. He's struggling here between the reality that he knows and the reality that Jesus is introducing, okay, which is always a struggle. The reality that he knows, the reality that Jesus is introducing, is stretching him. It's pushing him. Um, He's processing here verbally. I think Peter's probably a verbal processor. And it's just realizing like, you know what? We were up all night, Jesus. We didn't catch anything. I'm the fisherman. You're not the fisherman. Um, what's more, the nets here used by Peter uh, were not optimized for daytime fishing. They were optimized for nighttime fishing. You could even imagine sort of a huge air filter with 
a hard handle around it so that people could grasp it together. They could dunk it into the water at different angles to catch fish. And it has several uh, layers of mesh in it so that fish, like at night, they can't see the filter. They're swimming. They get sort of caught in the mesh. The fishermen lift the net out and they dump whatever fish they have into the boat. So during the day, the fish can see the net. During the day, the fish can see the mesh. During the day, the fish go, well, I'm just going to go around. Peter knows this. And so the request from Jesus has a nonsensical nature to it, that on, on its face, it seems like incompetence. On its face, it seems like, why bother? Now, Peter has been sitting at Jesus' feet all this time, and he's been listening, and he's been sensing that Jesus speaks with a certain type of authority. And so Peter trusts Jesus enough to give him that imperfect yes. Hey, we've been out all night fishing, and I know what I'm doing, and yet, at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. And so here, with the imperfect yes, Peter passes the second test. And then there's the catch, the miraculous catch, verses 6 and 7. When they had done this, they had gone out, they had lowered their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Um, Now, Simon Peter and his companions would normally be able to handle whatever they caught, but they actually needed their business partners, which were in the other 30-foot boat, to come out to where they were to help them with their net and to pour the fish. And they had so much fish, they had so much teeming, wiggling fish that they actually had to fill one boat and then fill the other boat. And then both of the boats began to sink. The nets were not enough for the fish. The boats were not enough for the fish. The fishermen were barely enough for the fish. Um, The nets are breaking, the boats are sinking, and Peter's sense of reality is breaking and sinking as well. Um, His sense of what's up, what's down, who knows what they're doing and who doesn't is beginning to tear and to break. And Peter realizes here that he is in the presence of holiness. Somehow Jesus' knowledge, which was more than enough about where the fish would be, in this lake. Um, And Jesus's mastery about where to direct the boats and the nets to catch them, like Jesus had more than enough capacity and knowledge and glory um, and generosity than Peter himself could handle. And so he gets down on his knees here. He's just a sinking man in a sinking boat and he cries out for mercy. Get away from me, Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter just realizes, like, I'm in the presence of someone who is holy. I am in the presence of someone who is more, not only more than enough, more than I can handle. And I want him to get away from me because of his glory. I want him to get away from me because of his holiness. Like, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. Jesus, you don't know what I'm capable of. I am a sinful man. It is not good for me to be in your presence. It's not good for you to be in my boat anymore. 
Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In fact, there's a whole community here of astonished, humbled men. Verses 9 and 10 tell us about them. For he, Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. These men were, were very talented and ambitious, and they were business partners. And yet here they are, they're astonished, and they're repentant, and their nets are breaking. And they all put themselves really at the mercy of Jesus here when they see his true nature. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in 18th century New England, and he had a similar experience as Peter and his companions. One of the things that he would do regularly is he would, take, he would go for a ride on his horse in the woods. He would uh, park his horse, whatever you do with horses, he parked the horse, I guess. <laughs> he'd go for a walk in the woods and he would pray, he would contemplate the person of Jesus. He would, he'd bring all of his cares and concerns. This was right in the middle of kind of the, the, the first wave of the, the first great awakening. And so there he is praying, and, and here's what he said. As I rode out into the woods for contemplation and prayer, I had a view that for me was extraordinary. and it was, a, it was a spiritual vision he was given. He said, I saw the glory of the Son of Man as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared, excellent, enough to swallow up all thought. And this continued about an hour and kept me in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated. I wanted to lie in the dust and be full of Christ alone to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust in him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him, and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. See, when we have a sense of the epiphany of Jesus, when he's revealed as more than enough, we get a sense of how much grace we need from him just to stay in his presence. Edwards was left lying in the dust. Peter was left kneeling in the boat. And here's how Jesus responds with that gentle and sweet condescension. End of verse 10. Look with me at the end of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus had more than enough grace for Peter, more than enough kindness for Peter, more than enough vision for Peter's life. And he had more than enough patience for all of Peter's shortcomings and imperfections. And then Jesus had more than enough work for Peter to do. Um, he said, you know, from now on, you'll be catching men. Um, Luke records Jesus saying some unusual words here. Um, essentially, you're going to be catching people alive. Um, <laughs> and, um, which doesn't make sense unless you read part two of Luke's writing, which is the book of Acts. And you see Peter catching people alive with a gospel. You see Peter preaching um, a sermon about King Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. And I mean, here Jesus is saying, hey, look, Peter, you think this boat is full of fish. 
just you wait until you go fishing for people in a few years after I've poured my life into you. I've got more than enough calling for you. I've got more than enough Holy Spirit for you. I've got more than enough forgiveness for you along the way. And on the other end of this epiphany of seeing that Jesus has more than enough, Peter's just, he's got what he needs to say yes. James and John have what they need to say yes. And it's not fish. And it's not money. And it's not control. And it's not their best life. And it's not more comfortable, in fact. Jesus is more than enough of all of those things. And so Jesus is what they choose. Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Left the boats, left the fish, left the prophet, left the lake that I can't pronounce to follow Jesus wherever he went. I'll never forget a phone call I made one night after we moved from Chicago 12 years ago. Um, it was a phone call to one of my mentors. Um, Laura and I were, I don't know, maybe about a month or so in, maybe three or four weeks in to our new life in Washington, D.C. And we had already experienced great provision from the Lord Jesus in that time. Provision of moving help, food, medical care, even uh, affordable housing. It wasn't comfortable, it was not stable, but it was more than enough to meet our basic needs. Yet we were very sad. We were grieving all we'd left behind. We felt stress every day. And I remember telling my mentor, like, I have no job, I have no security, um, nothing here is familiar, and I really, I don't know how this is gonna work out, I don't know what my future holds, and I don't know if I made the right decision or not. And she responded this way, you know what, Aaron? You could have stayed in Chicago. You could have kept all your security. You could have had the perfect job with the perfect benefits, with the perfect community and the perfect friends and the perfect life and the perfect retirement account and wake up in 30 years and find that you were spiritually dead. In other words, you can have all you think that you must have, or you can find Jesus to be more than enough. And that's where so many of us find ourselves, isn't it? It may be that Jesus has a calling for you, an ask for you. Maybe he's asking you to follow him for the first time. You've never said yes to Jesus, and you've never been baptized, and he's revealed his love to you already, and he's asking you to follow him. And that's really the line before you. You know what it will cost you. He's asking you to stop sinning. He's asked you to give him your anger, your lust, your resentment, and maybe a few other things. And the test really is, will you just say yes to Jesus for the first time and trust that life is going to be more than enough for you without all of those things? Some here are struggling because Jesus has asked you to give him something tangible that means a lot to you. You're in a relationship that he's asked you to get out of. You have a possession he's asked you to give away. Or he's asking you to open yourself to bringing a child into the world and you don't feel ready. 
Jesus is not afraid to ask for your time, your energy, your commitment. He's not afraid to ask for anything that you have. He is the Lord. It may be that once you give Jesus everything, uh, that you once gave Jesus everything as best you understood it, and you got burned as a result. Something happened on the other end of your commitment to Jesus, and you got burned. You took on an assignment for him, and maybe, maybe you just burned out. Um, or maybe you chose to love a vulnerable person in this world, and they hurt you in response. Uh, maybe you were hurt by the church or people who represented the church. And following Jesus might mean going into the grieving process and coming through with deeper wisdom and a tenderized heart of forgiveness and a greater capacity to love over the long haul. There's going to be tests if we say yes to Jesus. Sometimes the tests are going to be small. They're just going to be the, can I have your boat tests. Um, Like, hey, walk over across the room and initiate a conversation with that person. Get to know them a little bit. Ask them about their life. Or hey, be generous with that bonus that you got unexpectedly. Or how about this? Show up to that city group, even though you don't know anyone yet. And then sometimes they're a medium test of, hey, go out a little bit and put your nets down for a catch. Tests like, I want you to cancel your streaming subscription And I want you to begin every morning in the Bible. Or, hey, call up your mentor and confess that secret addiction that has you in its grip. Or, overcome your fear uh, and hang-ups with evangelism and learn a new way of evangelism here. And then there are those big tests. Like when Jesus said, from now on you will be catching men. Leave your nets and follow me. Jesus may ask us for big things like, Um, hey, it's time to work through the process of grieving. And it's time to learn how to forgive that person. Or, hey, don't force your plans for your career or your leadership. I'm asking you to wait. Or what about this? Hey, live in the city long term with all of its costs and headaches and inconveniences. Build a life here. Or what about the biggest one of all, which is just simply Jesus saying, entrust your whole life to me. Just give me everything you have. I'm encouraged by how Jesus said, uh, he just accepted the imperfect yes of Peter, didn't he? He just swallowed it whole. Um, Peter struggled with saying yes. We all struggle with saying yes. But he said yes nonetheless. Um, I've been fishing all night, and I'm basically an expert, okay? But at your word, I will put out my nets. Who knows how he said it? But he said it. He said, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He told Jesus to go. And Jesus just said, hey, don't be afraid. You're going to be catching people alive. And then he followed him. You know, Peter followed him with all of his emotional volatility and all of his questions and all of his doubts. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He predicted it. And it just had happened once. It happened three times. And there were also a lot of other blow-ups along the way. And Jesus said, you know what? Follow me. Don't be afraid. And at the very end of everything, after Jesus had died for Peter's sins and was raised to life again, 
at the very end of Jesus's uh, time here on earth, Peter's out fishing again. He's like, hey, kids. Like, put your nets out for a catch. And they're like, we've been out all night. What are you thinking? And they put out their nets. And what do you know? There was a full catch again. Peter was recommissioned and forgiven. Jesus is so good and so enough and so more than enough that our imperfect yes is all he asks of us. And he will make up the rest. Will you give him your imperfect yes? Or will you hesitate? See, it's one thing for us to have an epiphany and see who Jesus is. And it's quite another for us to leave everything and follow him. That is what he asks because he is the Lord. And he is more than enough. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.